Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning. Make sure they smile back at you. No snarls, lots of smiles. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're taking about a four-week diversion off the study of the book of Revelation to talk about the ministry and the blessing of God's precious Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we study your word, your spirit is our teacher. So teach us today. Change us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. So you got your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see if you got your Bibles. Excellent. Excellent. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse number 7. And this is a kind of a continuation of the last two weeks. Verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, variety of kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 is the clencher. So all these are empowered by one of the same Spirit who distributes to each person according to their will. Now, let me just say what my heart is. My heart, very plainly, is I want to see all of us. I want to see you do well. Is doing well? Is that good? Is that good? Yeah, I want to do well, and I want to see you do well. And I want you, and I want myself to be as full of God as we possibly can. Is that a good thing? Yeah. And we can be just as full as we want to be. We can be just as close as we want to be, and it is a decision. Now, from last week, we talked to, we talked about we've talked about six. We'll cover two more of the gifts of the Spirit. But here's the main point. Here's the takeaway. I don't want you to miss this. The whole point of this is that God really, really, really wants to speak to his people. That's his heart. What good father would let his daughter walk through the room and not speak to her? God is personal. God is caring. God thinks about us. God wants to help us. But he does it in an infinite number of ways. There's no limit to the number of ways he speaks. I'm just, I just wrote down 15 different ways how he kind of speaks to me. These are not in your notes. But every time I read the scripture, I feel like he speaks. And I always read with pen and paper and I mark and I highlight. And then he always speaks to me in prayer. This morning, I'm on my prayer drive before I come and I worship, and I listen, and I think he speaks. And then things called prompts and nudges. Say prompts, and say nudges. And I think we miss a lot of those. He prompts us to help someone. He gives us a little nudge to remember something, and then during silence. Now, some of us talk talk an awfully lot. It's not easy for me to be silent. But when I go on a retreat where there's no cell phone, there's nobody else, it's just me and a fire, me and my Bible, 
legal pad, he always speaks because when you have solitude with the Lord, you get clarity. When you have solitude, you get passion. And busyness kills both of them. So solitude is good. Ideas. One God idea is better than a thousand man ideas. We want God ideas and impressions. You just feel like you should do something. You feel like something's important. And then thoughts and then dreams. I've not, I had lots, I have lots of dreams. I don't know how many of them come from the Holy Spirit, but God does use dreams to speak to people. And then visions. You can have what is called an open vision where you're just minding your own business or you're in prayer and all of a sudden it's like a short movie clip that goes in front because the Lord is trying to communicate something. And then from others. A lot of times I've been asking the Lord for direction and somebody will just mention something and it is actually what I needed to know. It's just incredible. And then they're in corporate worship. That's the beauty of worshiping together. The Holy Spirit always speaks, and when you, whenever you hear the word taught, it may not be the lesson being taught, but the Holy Spirit will speak. And then through books and podcasts, uh, the Holy Spirit is the teacher, and then journaling is an important thing to do. I write down everything. Whenever I listen to somebody else teaching, I'm writing. When I'm reading my Bible, I am writing because when it... That's why I give you guys an outline. It goes through your ears. It goes through your eyes. It goes through your heart. It goes through your brain. And it goes through your fingers as you write. And you'll learn three times as much when you take notes. I urge you, keep a journal. Now, the reason he speaks in a variety of ways is because he's made us all different. All of us hear differently. All of us respond differently. You have four children. They're all as different if they came from other families. And every situation you'll ever be in is different. It'll be very different. So you need a fresh word. And so he speaks differently so we can listen, so we can hear his voice. Our problem is we're just too busy. We're too busy to listen. We're listening to a thousand other things rather than the voice of the Spirit of God. And one other little minor detail. Don't tell him how he should speak to you. Don't tell him how to do his business. He is the Lord of all. He frankly does not need your advice. He needs you to say, yes, sir. It's okay to murmur and complain a little bit. It's okay to say, I don't like it. It's okay. But ultimately, you got to figure out, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you want me to see? Now, so we've covered six of the gifts. Now we're going to cover, we won't get to prophecy today. We'll work on that next week. But three of the inspirational or vocal, everyone say vocal gifts, because you hear something. We just read the passage. Now, the first of the vocal gifts are what Paul calls a gift of tongues. And he throws in another little phrase, various, which means it looks different, different times and different ways. Now, this is important. You may have been raised in a church where the pastor said, this is not for today or this is of the devil. It's in the scripture and Jesus gave it. 
It has not gone away. Where the body of Christ is thriving, Africa, Asia, Latin America, it's places where people believe this to be for today. Now, let me make a distinction that will help you, okay? There's two in chapter 12 and chapter 14. There's two kinds of this issue of tongues. One is what Christians call a prayer language. Everyone say prayer language. I've had it. I've had a prayer language for 48 years. My problem was I stopped using it because I didn't think it was important because I didn't have a lot of good teaching. So I did what many of you have done. I put it on the shelf for 20 years. And then I heard a missionary at Asbury Seminary who used to teach this was gone. They no longer do that. A missionary who went to Hong Kong And her work was completely ineffective. She went there to reach uh, opium addicts and they spit at her and cursed her and mocked at her. The police hassled her. She could not find a place to rent. People not only did not want to hear the gospel, they were rude to her. And she was ready to get back on a ship and leave Hong Kong and go back to her home thinking she had completely missed God. And in her prayer time, the Holy Spirit whispered this, I gave you a gift and you're not using it. Use the gift I gave you. And so she started praying in her prayer language 15 minutes a day. It was amazing. The opium addicts started listening to her. The police and the government officials stopped harassing her. And people started coming to Christ. And she found a place to do ministry. And when I heard her say that, I went, oh my Lord, that's what's happened to me. So for all these rest 25 years, I pray in my prayer language 15 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, at least every day. Then I pray in my own language which is Swedish. It's a joke. I'm teasing. So you have a personal prayer language, which is private. Then you have the gift of tongues, which is a public ministry most of the time. And so Paul, when he goes through 1 Corinthians 12, he goes back and forth, but he doesn't always tell you he's going back and forth. Point number two. A prayer language, here's the purpose of it. It is for personal edification. Is there anybody in the room that could actually be stronger in the Lord? Would you like to be stronger in the Lord? I do. And so Paul writes this. Look at chapter 14. He says it edifies the believer. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue of chapter 14 doesn't speak to men, but it's a private devotional thing to God. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. I felt better. I felt stronger. I felt more engaged. I felt like I wanted to get back in the fight instead of quitting. The Lord revealed little 
little tidbits to me. And Paul says in also verse uh, 5, I want you all in my ministry, the body, to have this blessing. So that is Paul's teaching on it. It is a huge help to a person's prayer life. And it is a free gift. Everyone say free gift. Now, when I typed in in my Word document sitting on your lap, free gift, uh, my little Word computer didn't like that. And they kept saying, you can't put free and gift in the same sentence. They mean the same thing. I said, well, I don't care what you think. I'm going to put free gift in. Because I want you to know. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to clean up to get it. It's a free gift. Matter of fact, all these times he says gift, everyone say gift. A gift is a gift. Three. It's for you. He holds it, holds it out and you decide if you want it. And I want to say, don't be like me. If you have this blessing, you should use it. You should use it every day. It'll help you. It may make the difference between your son making it and not making it to you falling into temptation and you staying the course. Paul in Romans 8, verse 26 and 27 says, a lot of us, we need help with our weakness. There's days I'm weak, days I struggle, days I'm not sure I want to keep doing what I should be doing. I have a weak day, so I need to be in the scripture and I need to pray. I need to use my prayer language. And he says, there's times, Paul said, I don't know how to pray like I should. I don't know what my daughter needs. I don't know how to pray for my company. I don't know how to pray for our president. But the Holy Spirit, what he does, he intercedes according to the Father's will. So the Father and the the Spirit have this link. And it starts right here where the Holy Spirit is. And it goes from here directly to the throne. And most of the time, it bypasses my little nimble nimble. Sorry, what is a nimble brain? I don't know. I could have said nincompoop brain. But it passes my brain because sometimes I have all these things in there because I got disappointed, I got hurt, and I I have some fears, and I have some things, and it just bypasses all that and goes right to the throne. Now, the gift of tongues is communication with God in a language. Everyone say language. It is not gibberish. It is a language that may be known to somebody in the room or it may be unknown. It does not matter. It seems to be for the purpose of helping someone's need there with surrounded by other people. It's a public thing. Everyone turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, none of us in this room know how powerful this chapter is. It is just mind-blowing. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1, 
when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to each one and rested on each one. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was a public time, 120 people there in Jerusalem. Now let me tell you about this wonderful event. What town is this then? Is this in? Is this Chicago? Is this uh, Tampa? Where is it? Jerusalem. And this gift was unfurled to Jews. Maybe a hundred thousand extra Jews who were from multiple countries. It could have been 500,000. So picture Lexington with 300,000 people. And then for a week, another 500,000 people came to spend a week. That would change everything in Lexington. That's what happened at this time. Because these people were devout followers of Yahweh. And they came to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost had been celebrated for centuries before. And devout Jews were commanded by the Torah, the first five books, to come to Jerusalem out of the seven festivals, three of them they were required to come. And this was one of them. So here they are. Now here is an interesting map. And I think I counted right. Fifteen countries... People were present from 15 countries for this celebration. And while they were there, God moved on the 120 in the upper room, but there were thousands of people and they heard stuff. They heard stuff that was miraculous. What do you mean miraculous? They heard God speaking to them in their native language. Now we've already We've already said there are people from 15 countries. That's a lot of languages. And only God could have done it. And what they were hearing so touched them, so mystified them, they wanted answers. Now there's people all around you who are looking for God and they don't know how to say it. They may be depressed, they may be lonely, they may be discouraged, they may be seeking, but they don't have anybody to talk to them. And you should be a safe friend. If you follow Christ and you don't have any friends that don't know Jesus, you're living in a bubble. You, All of us should have friends that don't know Christ that the Lord has put in our world, and we love them right where they are. But we're able not only to love them, but answer their questions because they have them. You know, a lot of, of the next, of the two last two generations have left the church because they have legitimate questions that nobody will answer. So they just think, well, it's not worth it. Now, when all this phenomena had, there were detractors. 
where people standing around, not involved, didn't want God. They're standing around with their arms folded or they're, they're pointing their fingers and they go, this is crazy. These people are all, they've been in the sauce. They are drunk. They are high. And they just start yelling and laughing and pointing because people are, are on the ground. People have their hands up. There's some people shaking. There's some people doing some different stuff they've never seen before. And they say, these people are drunk. And Peter says, think. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. God is here in the room. So don't let the detractors, don't let the skeptics take away what God wants to give you. Don't, don't, don't do it. Now, my friend Peter is a guy that's going to get up and speak here. And Peter is up and down. Everyone say up and down. And Peter is also what I call theologically, he is a yo-yo. You say, Steve, that's rude. You're going to get to heaven and Peter is going to be mad at you. Probably, probably, I'll say, I'm sorry for calling you a yo-yo. He'll say, well, I was actually three times a yo-yo you thought I was. Because you only read some of the yo-yo stuff I did. He did a lot of yo-yo stuff. For instance, Jesus borrowed his boat. They in Galilee to preach from because the crowd was pressing him. He could not even have a space to even preach. He borrowed Peter's boat, pushed out in the Galilee a little bit to preach. After it was over, gave Peter's boat back to him. And Jesus, when he borrows stuff, he's always good to the people. He borrows stuff from. So whatever you give to Jesus, it's going to come back to you. And he says, I tell you what, I want to be a blessing to you. I know you're a professional fisherman, your whole family, everybody on the lake. That's what they do is fish. So here's what I want you to do. Push out into the deep, take your nets, throw them into the water, because there's a great catch waiting for you. Now, Mr. Yo-Yo, what's his name? Good old Peter, Mr. Yo-Yo. The Bible doesn't say this, but I think he rolls his eyes and pushes, <laughs> puts his hand on his cheek. It was the Lord. And he, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking he's going, this guy's a carpenter. He doesn't know anything about fishing. I've grown up here. My father, my grandfather, I know everything about fishing. He even says, Lord, come on, come on. Hey, come on, Lord. I know you're really good at what you're doing, but we, but we were out all night. You catch fish in the Galilee at night when it's cool. It is like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, noon. It is like blazing hot. There's no fish anywhere around here. Then he says, nevertheless. Everyone say, nevertheless. Some of you, would you just stop, stop arguing with the Lord? Just stop it. Just do what he says. Just stop arguing. You're not smarter than he is. You're probably a yo-yo. He says, nevertheless, so he pushes out, you know, he's complaining, he's mumbling to himself, and all of a sudden there's two boats full of fish, and a lot of debts get paid off. And Peter says, oh my. I think, Jesus, you need to get away from me because you don't even know who I am. I'm, I'm really pretty foul. He's a what? What is Peter. Peter is a what? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a yo-yo? Are you a little bit like a yo-yo? 
Okay, if you've ever been to Israel, normally you go to this place, Caesarea Philippi. It's in the far north. It's close to the Lebanese border. I've heard shelling from that place. This is kind of the start of the River Jordan. And at that time, it was a huge place of idolatry, full of Greek gods, a lot of pagan stuff, crazy, sensuous stuff. It is a bad place to plant a church. So they're up there. And Jesus asks a question, and he just says, tell me, who, 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 who do people say that I am? One guy says, oh, you're, you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. Another one says, oh, you're Elijah. And, uh, and Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood didn't tell you this, but my Father in heaven, he's commending Peter. And then it's like six verses later, Jesus says, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem. They will kill me. Wicked men will put me on a cross. I will die, but I will rise from the dead. And good old Peter, Mr. What? What is he? He goes from being really tuned into God's spirit to being completely tuned out all in about six minutes. He says, no, you're not. I know better than you. You're not going to the cross. You're not getting killed because we need you. Now stop it, Jesus. You guys tell Jesus stuff like that too, don't you? Stop it. Yo-yo. Another example. Night he was betrayed. Jesus says, somebody at this table is going to betray me. And Peter, he has to always be out front. He has to, you know, shoot his big mouth off. That's why I like him. You know, he just says, not me, Lord. Bang, bang, bang on the table, stands up, puts his hands on his little bony waist. Even if they all desert you, not me. Even if I were to die, I will never betray you. That's when Jesus rolled his eyes. Have you made promises to the Lord and other people that you just never kept? You said you would, but you haven't. You said you won't, but you did. That's a yo-yo. That's good old Pete. Good old Pete. And it wasn't, it wasn't seven months later, seven weeks later, seven years later. It was seven hours later when a 14-year-old slave girl When Peter is like warming up around the fire, he's got s'mores going on, but he's afraid to sing Kumbaya because that'll give him away. And this slave girl says, I think you're one of them, aren't you? You have a Galilean accent. I think I saw you with that rabbi. And Peter is so embarrassed. He cursed. He blasphemed. And he said, I tell you, I never met him. I do not know that man. I like good old Peter. Pete tries really hard. You try hard? He tried really hard. Peter's willing to take a risk. I like that about him. I admire him. He's willing to fail. He's willing to put it all out there, even if he looks really foolish. Peter really loved Jesus. You know, 
If it's really you, call me to come out on the water. Lord, I really need help right now. I'm about to drown. But can we just all agree? Uh, what is Peter? Peter is a yo-yo. You know, at least he would come back, right? Because if he didn't come back, he would just be a yo But here's the point. You may say, well, I'm not a yo-yo, Steve. Well, what are you? These are toys I grew up with. Could you be a silly putty that you just imprint the likeness of everything around you? Could you be a Super Bowl? Boing, boing, boing. You're all over the broom. Could you be, how about this? Do you remember Whammo? You're like the Whammo Frisbee. You get yourself in all kind of places. Like what places? Well, like up on the roof. And the weeds. And the trees. Up and down. Up and down. But here, Here's Jesus, what Jesus was doing in the midst of the yo-yo deal. He said, your name is Simon. You were born Simon. But uh, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Cephas. Everyone say Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic, which is what they all spoke. Aramaic was the language, and it means the rock. Why would Jesus call a yo-yo the rock? Because he's calling him out prophetically to his destiny. That was his destiny. That's where he was designed to go. And the point is... Peter could never find his destiny. He could never get to where the Lord wanted him unless it's the theme of four weeks of teaching, unless he is filled with the Spirit of God. It's not going to happen. Going to seminary won't do this. More and more Bible study is great, but it won't do this. Going to church is wonderful, but it won't do this. It takes heaven to fill you. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And right before Peter got up to preach, he was indeed filled, transformed through an experience with God's Holy Spirit. And he courageously, remember we talked about the gift of tongues and we talked about the the interpretation. He is about to give a lengthy interpretation of what happened. It is one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible, and I have underappreciated it. So the difference, what's the difference between Peter the yo-yo and Peter the rock and Peter the apostle? Can somebody guess where we're going? It's the presence of the living God in him. Read this passage, please, that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Read it, please. But you will receive when the Holy comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Either we believe Jesus said what he meant, or we write new theology. Or we think we're smarter. Do you think Christians need 
supernatural power, would that be yes or no? I would say so. If Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and came out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit, if Paul needed the power of the Holy Spirit, that means you and I do too. Please, 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 let's keep this simple. Don't let your theological box or don't let your logic steal the simple, simple truth of what Jesus was saying. For instance, the Christian life is designed to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are like a beautiful, expensive sailboat that can never seem to get wind for its sails. We're just sitting in the water, sitting in the water, sitting in the water. Or we are like a $10 million artillery piece, state of the art, And we, beside it, have no shells. It's a wonderful coat rack that goes up and down. Or it's like a wonderful banquet that has been set before you with beautiful silver and expensive china and wonderful napkins and place setting. The only thing missing at the banquet is there is no food. No food. Why'd you invite me to the banquet? Look at my shiny silverware. It would be like your beloved house catching on fire. You're not at home. And the neighbors call 911. And the wonderful brave men in the red truck show up at your house because they want to save your house. And maybe if you have family members in the house, they want to rescue them. So they immediately jump out, they jump into action, and they carry these wonderful, heavy, expensive, thick hoses. And they run to something. Where do they run to? The fire hydrant. But if the fireman never connect the hose to the fire hydrant, this is a picture of the church in America. I'm not being critical. I just want to be all we can be. And I want to help others. That means my house is going down. Our nation is going down. Our city is going down. Our family is going down because we can't get to the living water. Is this registering? Are you kind of following me? Now let's make sure we get the biblical language here. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that gives a filling. Matthew 3 John said, hey, I baptize you guys in water, but there's one coming. I am not worthy to even tie his sandals. And what he does, he changes people dramatically because he baptizes them with the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Fire. 
So the Holy Spirit produces the power you need for your walk with Christ. You can generate it. Not some preacher or Bible teacher can generate it. No one else can generate it for you. Only the precious Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about the eighth one in the passage, interpretation of tongues. This is kind of mysterious. Some have never seen this. I just want to make it very simple. Third grade level. When the gift of the t- of tongues is used in a public setting, we've had it a few times here. When that happens, it is not productive unless someone helps people understand what the message was. Does that make sense? Oh, that was lovely. That was nice. I have no idea what they're talking about. Okay. And it seems to me like reading what Paul said about it, that the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues seems to be equal to prophecy to Paul. We'll talk about that next week. When a person uses their prayer prayer language, which is what I used this morning, they may or may not grasp what they're actually praying about. Paul says, I use my prayer language and my mind is unfruitful. I just, I'm not really sure. I don't have to know. Why? Because it's okay. The Holy Spirit knows what I needed. And he's on it. And he's talking to the Father about it. Now, I've never thought about this before, but the Apostle Paul knew at least four languages, maybe more, very well, very fluent, could preach in all four of them, which meant he probably prayed in all four of these languages. Of course, Hebrew, the language of his father. Aramaic, the common language of the day, the language Jesus spoke. The Greek language, because it's a Greek culture since Alexander the Great. This New Testament is written in Greek. Paul spoke it fluently, and then Latin. His last two years, he's a prisoner in Rome. He spoke Latin. He preached in Latin. But what's the point, Steve? Here's the point. He prayed a ton, a lot, potentially hours in his prayer language. How do you know that, Steve? Back it up from Scripture. He said this, I pray in the spirit and I pray with my mind too. I sing in the spirit and I sing with my native language too. And he said, as far as I know, I use this more than anyone in the whole movement. When I read that, I went, oh my goodness. Oh, that's a game changer. Paul stated at some time in a message, in tongues in a meeting, and most of the meetings in those days for 300 years, there were no church buildings, they were in homes. So small, 20, 30, maybe 40 people. Often, that gift of tongues was a miraculous sign to an unbeliever or a seeker that came. Maybe came for the first time. 
And the Holy Spirit absolutely read his mail because the Holy Spirit would reveal things that no one could know. No one could know that except the seeker himself. And Paul said people would just fall down and go, oh my, God is so good, and just be overwhelmed by God's goodness and God's compassion. Now, this happens around the world. I've seen it happen a few times. As a brand new Christian, I went to Oral Roberts University. I was age 19 in Tulsa. I had a professor. This is, a, this is the only picture I could find, Dr. Bill Basansky. He was a wild man for Jesus. I loved him. He grew up in the country of Georgia. He spent time in the Ukraine. He was a prisoner of the Nazis, he and his whole family in World War II. Then he was a prisoner of the Soviets. He was able to escape during the Iron Curtain days, came to California, married a beautiful blonde lady who I loved from California, and he became a cop, a street cop in California. He was not a believer. He was a rank, wicked, womanizing pagan. He was a bad boy. He had multiple black belts and karate, and he loved to fight. He loved to hurt people. And because he was an undercover narcotics officer in San Francisco, he became a drug addict. He would bust people and take their drugs and sell them and use them. But God got him. God got his wife, B, saved his beautiful blonde lady, and he demeaned her. He was abusive to her. He criticized her. He was angry because he wanted his old wife back. He did not want the wife that had the presence of the Holy One in him because it made him feel uncomfortable. So one day he came home from work. He walked into his bedroom. And his new Christian wife was kneeling beside her bed. She was praying in a prayer language. And she was praying in the language of his village back in Georgia. And he heard God speak to him. And God read his mail. And here's what he did. He fell on his knees, gave his heart to Jesus like that. The drugs left him, the alcohol left him, the womanizing left him. He got filled with the Spirit. He became a mighty servant of the living God. This is a book I didn't even know was out there. and I ordered it yesterday from Amazon. God wants to speak to people. And he'll use a thousand ways to do it because he cares. So look look at chapter 2, verse number 14. I'm only going to spend a few more minutes. This is where it really gets beautiful. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, addressed him, said, Men of Judea, all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what was uttered through Joel the prophet. Verse 17. In the last days, everyone say last days, it shall be God declares, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants in those days, 
I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Now, we're not going to look at all the verses. I want to give you the highlight. I've never been so touched by a passage than this week at this powerful sermon this 23-year-old guy preached there on the day of Pentecost. He referred first to Joel the prophet 800 years earlier. This is what Joel the prophet wrote about. That the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Let me say, it was true in Joel's day. It was true the day of the Pentecost. And before Jesus comes back, it's going to happen again. Poured out on all flesh. That means everyone. Everyone gets to play. Everyone is included. Everyone is in this room. Then he went on to say, verse 21, whoever would call on the name of the Lord. I love that. Whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. If you're not saved today, call on the name of the Lord and get your heart right. Get forgiven. Have heaven as your home. Let God adopt you as his son and his daughter. And verse point number C, there's a predetermined plan even before the world was created that God's son would die on a cross crucified at the hands of wicked and godless men. And on the third day, he would rise from the grave and ascend into heaven. This is the theology of the whole Bible, all in chapter two, where he would rule at the right hand of God the Father. And that's where Jesus is today. This is so amazing. So he starts with Joel 800 years earlier. Then he goes back 200 years. To the hero of all the people of Israel, King David. The King David, even though he was just a mortal, he understood something. That the promise that one of his descendants would be the Messiah, the Christ, that he would indeed rise from the dead. So you got two witnesses saying the same thing. And find his place beside the Father. And when he got beside the Father, he would release the promise, everyone say promise, which was the Holy Spirit to his people. Now how, how did David know this? Because the Holy Spirit told him. He didn't figure it out. Peter didn't figure it out. And Peter went on to go, went on to say, what you guys have witnessed today, what you've experienced today in Jerusalem, you people from all these countries, it's the fulfillment of a thousand years. It's the fulfillment of 800 years. And you get to be a part of it today. And this Jesus man, Billy Graham, would have been proud of Peter. No longer the yo-yo. This one you crucified is both Lord. Everyone say Lord. And he is also Messiah. Everyone say Messiah. Christ Christ is Greek for Messiah. And multitudes in this huge crowd were pierced to the heart. Do you know what pierced to the heart means? Look at the photo. And so hundreds of people were going, oh my, what do I do? What does this mean? I love it when people say, tell me what to do. 
How do I find God? How do I get faith? Tell me. I know I'm not right, but I don't know how to get I don't know how to get unright. Tell me what to do. That means your heart has been pierced. Now look at this. You guys have been around for a while. I've shown it to you. This is the holiest place on the earth. This is a place that was a bar in a college town, South Carolina. I came out of that bar inebriated and drunk. I was not drunk in the spirit. It's a joke. And there were two street preachers in black suits at midnight. We all had long hair, they had short hair. And I felt like there was an eight foot super being in the invisible realm. And he put his left foot forward and he cocked his right arm and he hit me from 25 yards away with a 10 foot invisible harpoon in the heart. And I felt a thud. My heart went open. I verbalized this out of my wicked mouth. These men have what I've been looking for. And let me tell you what happened that night. Once the super being, the Holy Ghost, impaled my heart, he started pulling one hand over the other until 30 days later, I was in the kingdom. Someone say, praise the Lord. So Peter told him how to be saved. Worship team, would you guys come out? He told him what to do. I mean, he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's going to tell him what to do. He said, first off, you need to repent. Everyone say repent. Repent does not mean you feel sorry. Repent means you're going to turn around. You're going to think differently. You're not going to be the same person. You are making tracks in another direction. And then believe, everyone say believe. The scripture says right underneath it that the believers were together. You embrace it. It's not just head knowledge. You embrace it as a truth that you want to live by. And then you follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. Baptism in the name of Jesus, which is an identification with Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are a little Christ. You are family to him. You are completely in. You go in the water. It doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly. But the old Steve, I want him to be dead. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to act that way anymore. I don't want to be abuser and self-centered anymore. And when you come out of the water, it means the new Steve is alive to Christ for the rest of my life. And I'm never going back. No matter who turns, no matter who goes back, I'm not going back. I am in. I've thought about it. I made my choice. I am in. And then Peter says you have the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and live inside you for newness of life. And this promise, I love this, how he concludes it. It's for you. It's for your children. And it's for everybody that feel the voice of the Spirit of God calling, calling to be His. Now, I'm going to ask members on the altar team to just come up and stand. So if you're ready to pray for people, just come up and stand because we're going to make room for God's Spirit. 
Hearing preaching is wonderful. Worshiping with songs is wonderful. But it's about responding. It doesn't do anything unless you respond. So we're just going to open the altar. There's people here to pray with you. And I want to say the power of the Holy Spirit is for you and he's here. I want to say this. His gifts are for you and they are here. And I want to say his fullness is for you. Give us just a little more light across the front, would you, if you guys could back there? I want to pray. Then you come. We'll stay as long as you need, but let God's Spirit minister to you. Let Him help you. Let Him change you. Let Him take you to new places. Let Him make a difference. Some of you would like a prayer language. Ask the person praying for you that the Lord would grant it to you today. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Thank you that your presence is here so wonderfully thick and beautiful. A minister to people. Work in our lives for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Come to receive the prayer you need.
He loves you so much. We could never believe how much he cares for us, wants to fellowship with us. It happens through his wonderful Holy Spirit. Get as hungry as you can. Get as thirsty as you can and let him just keep filling you. Let him keep filling you. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you that your word is always true, always lifts us, and the Holy Spirit is the helper, the teacher, the navigator, the convictor. He's Jesus' gift to us. Now, for anyone in the room or anyone watching by uh, TV or online, why don't you give your heart to Jesus today? Just surrender. Just let go. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord today because I've given you everything and make me who you want me to be. Save me because I will serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. And slip out quietly. There will be people here to pray with you. Just pick up your children and uh, serve them well. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. And we hope to see you next week.